Acts chapter 16. We're going to do a little bit uh, overlap. We're going to start with a passage we talked about last week, and we're going to move forward a little bit. Today's sermon is called Tale of Two Women. And the first woman is Lydia, who we met last week. The second woman is a fortune teller that we're going to meet this week. So we're going to read Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 11 through 18. And we're going to kind of stop right in the middle of the narrative there. We'll finish next week, but I want to get this section taken care of. So let's read Acts 16, starting with verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. I'll stop there. I want to frame that everything we're going to read about in chapter 16 is in the course of several days. We don't know exactly how many several days are, but the the occurrences of this first part could have been all in one day, it could have been up to a week, two weeks, something like that. And then the second, so we don't know how many days, but just several days, not a month, or it would have said a different thing. So just several days, think a week to two weeks here. So they were there several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, or a God-fearer. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there because that's the last word spoken of this woman. The last we hear of her. We don't hear anything else about her. She's never mentioned again. And and I want to we want to do a kind of a compare and contrast between the two things that are happening here. And hopefully we'll see a bigger picture develop. So uh, let's talk about how they're similar. This is not in your notes. This is kind of preliminary. Uh, there are two women, uh, Lydia and the fortune teller. They, they both interact with Paul and Silas and the guys near the place of prayer, which is at the river. So it's the same general area. Paul is apparently going there quite frequently. At one point in time, this fortune teller is there, and then she basically starts following them around. Uh, she meets with them enough that after several days of this happening, Paul's, Paul's finally had it. And then they both uh, have influence. Lydia, because she's a seller of purple, she's a businesswoman, probably wealthy, and the fortune teller because she tells the future. She can even manipulate if she would so choose. 
Now, it doesn't mean she told the future correctly, but the demon inside her was able to predict enough things that people thought she could tell the future. So I wanted to kind of mention that. So they both have influence, and they both probably have affluence. We know Lydia had affluence. This woman probably also became fairly well off, if not even wealthy. She would have at least been treated very well because she was an asset to her owners. She was making them a lot of money. So that's the similarities, and that's kind of where the similarities end. So let's identify who these people are. So in your notes, Lydia, we know that before Paul and Silas, she was a lost woman, spiritually speaking. She was a lost woman seeking the true God. She had become a God-fearer, which means she recognized the God of Israel, but she wasn't ready to fully embrace. She recognized, and she was basically saying, hey, I'm going to get in as far as I can. I'm going to worship the best I can, and, and hopefully this will be enough. She, she wasn't becoming a Jew, which at that time was what you had to do to really embrace God. So she was a God-fearer which meant she had identified God, but she wasn't following God. She was still lost, which is kind of a warning that we can know who God is. We can know a lot about God. We can even know where to go seek God and still be lost. She was a God-fearing woman, a believer in God, but she wasn't saved. But she was seeking, and that's a good thing. Number two, when she heard the gospel, she responded by believing, almost immediately. As soon as she heard what... what Paul and Silas and the others were teaching. She said, this is it. She responded. And then three, after being saved, she took the gospel to her family. Now, now notice I want to bring that timeline back up. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then verse 15 says, when she and, her, she and the members of her family were baptized. So there's a gap between her salvation and her baptism. So somewhere along the line, the conversation was probably like, hey, this is great. My family is also seeking God. Please come share with them. Please come tell them what you've told me. And that might have been that day, that afternoon. might have been the next day. She might have said, hey, everybody's going to be home on Wednesday. Could you come have dinner on Wednesday and share this? We don't know how that happened. But it was shared with her family, and then they were all baptized together. So that could be two or three days. could be three different events. Literally could have been all the same afternoon. But she, she shared the gospel with her family, who believed. And then number four, she immediately began to serve. So on the day she was baptized and her family, she said, hey, you're staying at my house. She began to serve God with hospitality and generosity. So that's her story. We talked about that last week, quite a bit of that. But now the fortune teller. Number one, under fortune teller, the, the blank there is the word owned. Okay, She was owned property who was rented out as a fortune teller. Now, that language is a little weird, but I want to get the idea that she was not in control of, of her life. I'm sure she had quite a bit of freedom. I'm sure it wasn't slavery like we think of the American his, historical slavery, but she was owned. She did the bidding of the people who owned her. So she would go where they said to go, she would fortune tell for the people she contracted with, that they contracted with. If she did any on her own, the money went to them. She was owned property. She was a slave in the Roman world, which was different than being a slave in the Jewish world. So she was owned property, and she 
would go wherever, who knows, to, to events, maybe to parties, maybe she was on the, on the street with a booth, maybe she had a house where people could come. She was fortune teller, much like, think of a fortune teller today. Her ability to foretell the future or make really good guesses or, or read the clues was because of number two, she was empowered by a demon. So she was possessed by a demon who gave this ability... It was, what, it was something this demon apparently enjoyed. He, this is what he did. So three, she was both a physical slave and a spiritual slave. She was a physical slave because she was owned. She was a spiritual slave because of the demon possessing her. So the bold letters, the fortune teller was freed from a great deal of bondage by Paul. And we're talking about spiritual bondage. He didn't have the authority to free her from her owners. But he did have the authority to cast out the demon. So when, when Paul, even though he was irritated, turned and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave, the demon left, she experienced a certain amount of freedom in that moment. Where she was under the control of the demon, now she was free of the demon. He was gone. Now her ability to fortune tell was also gone, and her value to her owners now was gone. But she had a freedom that she didn't have before. She now was free to make some choices. So number four, she knew that Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy were servants of the true God. We know she knew that because she proclaimed it. The demon proclaimed it. She heard it. She experienced it. She knew this was reality. She also had experienced the demon being cast out. She also, number five, knew that their message was a message of forgiveness of sin and salvation. Um, remember what, what was being shouted. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. The, the demon was actually using her to shout out the truth. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So she knew these things, okay? So, bold letters again. The fortune teller knew the truth that held the power of spiritual life. She knew who to talk to. She knew what to talk about. She had an opportunity now. But number six, there is no report of her conversion. No report of gratitude or a change of lifestyle. It's really interesting that at the end of verse 18, we hear nothing about her again. Logic says, and the pattern of Scripture says, and the pattern of Luke's writing says, that if she turned to Christ, we would be told about it. A main character in the narrative, uh, a, a, a turning point in the story, if she had said, this is great, thank you so much, what do I have to do to be saved? And she had become a believer, we would hear about it. So we can surmise that that didn't happen. And we're not told what happened to her. The, Luke may not even know what happened to her. I'm going to tell you there's a really good chance that she went right back to where she was. Because a demon cast out, remember, if, if, if the house isn't fixed, as the illustration goes, will come back and sometimes bring more demons with him. So simply being cast out did not mean he could never come back. He wasn't cast to the pit. He wasn't cast to pigs or anything. He could come back. And if this was her chosen lifestyle, because even though being a slave, it put her in a position to be valued and, and pampered and this kind of stuff, she may have welcomed him back. And, and that's just 
a possibility, but there's no report of her conversion, which is interesting. So she was freed from spiritual bondage, at least for a moment. She knew the truth of who these men represented and what their message was, but she did not respond. So Lydia responded, she did not. So in comparison, number one, Lydia repented and became a convert. The fortune teller did not. Number two, Lydia followed her conversation with evangelism, baptism, and ministry. The fortune teller probably continued in her previous work or something similar. She may have moved on to do something else. She may have served her owners in a different way as a slave, but she probably went on not that different. Number three, Lydia's proclamation of truth. Remember, she went and proclaimed to her family. Lydia's proclamation of truth, hey, these guys represent God. They know the gospel. They can tell us how to be saved from our sins. Listen, that proclamation was welcomed, but the proclamation of the fortune teller was not. It was annoying, and Paul put a stop to it. Why would that be true? Well, A, Lydia's proclamations were motivated by love and devotion. I love God. I'm devoted to Him. I love my family. I'm devoted to them. I want the two things that I love and am devoted to to also be loved and devoted by one another. I want my family to know God and salvation. So she brought them together. Her proclamation was motivated by that love and devotion. The fortune teller's proclamation, they were motivated by greed and deception. Greed and deception. Why would a demon proclaim these people are from God and they speak the words of salvation? Why would a demon proclaim this? It doesn't go in their favor for people to get saved. So there has to be an ulterior motive. There has to be an alternate goal, and we can... We can surmise that. I did some research, and here's kind of the conclusion that most people have come to. Can't prove this, but here's the conclusion. Uh, the demon recognized who they were, obviously could not do anything about it, so the demon started proclaiming, these, are, these people represent God, they have salvation, and they're going to they're gonna tell you how to be saved. And then when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke left, they could easily step in and say, hey, remember we told you they were from God. They've left. Now God says that we're in charge. The fortune teller could have gone into fortune telling mode and said, wow, the, the God who these men talked about has just told me that he is to be in charge now. Point to her owner or to someone working with them. They, they could have hijacked the new church, the new believers, and, and tried to take them down a wrong path. And, and that may be what Paul recognized when he was throwing her out, that this is not a good thing. This is not going to be good. It's not taking us down a good road. And he, and he put a stop to it. And, and if that's not the specific motive, it's something similar. Because a, a demon's motive is never to point people towards God. A demon's motive is to get you to miss God. If you miss him by an inch, you miss him by a mile. And if he can steer just that far, that's his goal. That's Satan's goal. So we know that the goal was not as stated. So let's turn the page over. I have two warnings for you. That's, that's, that's Lydia and, and the, the uh, fortune teller. 
They're contrasted in that Lydia believed and then moved forward. The fortune teller did not. And there were other things going on. So two warnings that we can take from here. Number one, just continuing on with the conversation, Satan will often speak truth. You don't hear that very often in church, right? He's the father of lies. Uh, he masquerades as an angel of light, does all these things. But Satan will often speak the truth. Sometimes it's just a negative truth to get you beyond the question. Sometimes it's a lot of truth to get you uh, fully engaged. But he will often speak the truth as a means of luring you into a false faith or a false belief or in following a false leader. And I have some examples. Let's talk about the Mormon church. This comes up all the time. Are Mormons Christians? How do we look at them? How do we deal with them? So the Mormon church. Well, here's a truth or, or a set of truths that they proclaim. They proclaim that the family is very important to God. And we need to protect the family. We need to raise our kids to, to be well-behaved, to be moral. They talk about being involved in the community, that community is important. We help each other. We help, we help the people in our church, and we do things like that. The community is important. Morality is important. We behave. We are different. We act better. We're more righteous. Um, they talk about right living. They have a lot of things in those categories that are full of truth. But what's their heresy? Their heresy is you can become a god. And that salvation is based on works. Now, we could spend two or three weeks identifying heresies of the Mormon church. But that's just a sampling. So yeah, they, they say a lot of truth. And, and young families will say, man, we need to go to church because we have kids now. And they'll look around and maybe they'll see an ad on TV or a neighbor. And they'll go, hey, you know what? Family is huge in, in my church. You should come to my church. Oh, what church is that? Oh, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, it's Christian because they have Jesus. Oh, yeah, we're definitely Christian. And they go and, and they get sucked in and they just now just take it in. Because they saw some truth and that truth led them down a path where they quit asking, is this still true? And sometimes... Satan will do that. I, I should probably mention, if you remember, the origin story of the Mormon church is that Joseph Smith was out in the woods and the angel Moroni talked to him and gave him some golden tablets. The angel said, I represent God and I'm here to correct the wrongness of the church and I've chosen you. Now you go represent God. Satan speaking truth. The churches were in trouble. There was a lot of things not going right. But the rest was not. So the, the Mormon church is an example where many people have been led astray. And many people sincerely think they're on the right track, heading to the right place, when they're not. There's the prosperity gospel. There's a little bit of truth there. Here's some truth from the prosperity gospel. God blesses generous people. God blesses generous people. He does bless generous people. Okay? He blesses with provision. He often blesses with finances. God also blesses righteousness, holiness. He represents, he, he blesses prayer. He, he blesses um, getting to know God. He blesses reading the scripture. God blesses all kinds of stuff, but it is true that he blesses generosity. It is also true that he provides for us. There's a, a promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. The very things mentioned are, are shelter, food, and, clo and clothing. So God makes that promise. There is some truth there. Where the heresy comes in is when they say that God always blesses financially. God always returns. When, when you sow, God will reap a harvest in your life. You sow a thousand, he'll, you'll harvest ten thousand. They even put numbers on it. God always does this. And if, if he doesn't, then it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. And the only way to, to exhibit the faith you need is to, is to sow again. Uh, give more. Give to the church more so God can bless you. There's, there's heresy there. Now there's hundreds of more heresies in the prosperity gospel as well as a, the, what they call the poverty gospel. But there's truth there that can lead people just a couple of degrees off of Christ so they think they're earning their salvation instead of converting to Christianity. So Satan often speaks the truth. We spent several weeks a couple years ago talking about the new apostolic reformation. And they have some truth. Their, their battle cry is that Christianity should intersect with politics and with economics and with family life and education and, and every other area. They actually have the, it's either seven or twelve mountain mandates where they identify areas of culture and they target those areas. And they say, we need to be actively involved in all these areas, which is true. Your faith should intersect with your education and your politics and the way you raise your kids and the, the way you operate your family and your business and everything else. It should all overlap. The heresy comes when they start saying things like, you know what? We have to conquer these areas. In the name of Jesus Christ, He will not come back until we fulfill this mandate. We must become the government. We must become the educators. We must become the, the cultural influencers. We must do these things or Jesus will never come back. It's up to us. And they say things like that. And they do some really weird things and some crazy things, but their, their doctrine is incorrect. And, and they can fall to a work salvation as well. But they, they speak some truth, and they, they get you sucked in, maybe even excited and motivated. And then you're in, and then things happen, and you just accept it. That's part of Satan's plan. In our passage, here's the truth, today's truth. These men are from God and bring you the message of salvation. That was absolutely true. The demon was shouting truth through this woman. These men are from God, and they bring you salvation. What's the heresy? Um, if my scenario was correct, when these men are gone, we'll take over and we'll lead you. We're on the same team. That's the heresy. The demon on the same team with God. We're on the same team. Empowered by the same God, so follow us. If I'm incorrect... In, in what the motive was. Whatever the motive was, is the heresy. The demon could not have a correct motive. It, it goes against the very nature of things. So, a, a, a truth that leads to deception. 1 Timothy 4.1, I want to read this to you. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit, Holy Spirit, clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That tells me that demons will be teaching religious-type things. 
which often means they start with a little bit of truth, get you wrapped up in it, and then lead you astray. In Revelation 9.20, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols they cannot see, that cannot see or hear or walk. So Timothy says in the last days they will worship demons. In Revelation it says they will not stop worshiping demons. That tells me that today, in 2022, there are demons being worshipped in churches that claim to be following God, in churches that claim to have the new correct message from God. It's, it's not like there's a, a demon worship service. It's people think they're worshiping God and they're deceived. So that's the first warning, that this is real and it happens and it's going on today. And it's going to increase as long as we're moving towards Christ's return. The second warning, number two, is that not everyone responds favorably to the gospel message. Not everyone responds favorably, even when the Apostle Paul is the one who brings it. You know, as a pastor, I get a lot of opportunities to share the gospel. I've shared the gospel at the high school. I've shared the gospel in, in cars, in, in meetings, in baseball fields. I get a lot of opportunities to share the gospel, other than while I'm preaching. And even when I preach, and I know for sure there's people in the audience that aren't saved, I share the gospel. Many times, no one responds. Many times, I shake hands on the way out the door, and that's, that's the extent of it. There's been times where after a, a great gospel presentation, the question is given, would you like to receive Christ? No, I don't think so. I'll think about it with that look that means I've already thought about it. You know, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. If you've, if you've shared Christ with three people in your life, I'm sure you've met one or two of them that weren't interested at the time. And even Paul faced this. In, in our story today, the fortune teller did not respond with belief. The owners did not respond with belief. We know this because they stirred up the crowd and, and got the magistrates involved who also did not respond with belief because they beat Paul and Silas and put them in prison and the crowd did not respond because they were on the side of the owners of the magistrates. That's next week. Not everyone responds favorably. So what should you do? Should you quit? Probably not. Here's the application based on those two warnings. Number one, be careful. I could probably stop there, but I can't. I won't. Be careful when you read a book. Just because it's sold at the Christian bookstore, just because it comes from CBD, just because Aunt so-and-so said it was, it was a great book, be careful. Be careful what you read. Be careful when you read a book. Be careful when you watch a video on YouTube or from a friend or whatever. When you watch a video, when you listen to a podcast or attend a church, be careful in all these situations, okay? What are you being careful of? Well, let's continue. Make sure that you verify all of their teachings with Scripture. Even the ones that throw a verse on the screen. Make sure that's really what the verse says. Make sure it's in context and that's what it means and, and we're on topic. 
We need to be careful and then verify so that we don't blindly follow them into error or even heresy. I don't know how many times I've discovered that something that everyone was excited about was wrong. I'll, I'll just give you one, because it's the one that, that I walked into, the prayer of Jabez. Probably have to be a little older to remember the prayer of Jabez. Guy took one little verse, wrote this whole book about it, made a lot of assumptions, made a lot of claims, and, and basically presented a false testimony of God based on this. And it was from Scripture. And, and a lot of people got into it. And there's, there's been many, many more. But be careful. Just because someone starts with a prayer or starts with a scripture or says I'm from such and such a church, scripture is what we use to verify the message. It is our ultimate authority. Second application, number two. Some people will reject the gospel no matter how good a job you or others do in presenting it. This does not mean you failed. It does not mean you failed. God is responsible for salvation. The Holy Spirit is responsible for preparing the heart. You may be a step in the way. You may not know that, but it is not you that failed. There may not be any failure at all. It doesn't mean you failed. Going on, it doesn't mean you should quit sharing. It definitely doesn't mean you, could, you should quit sharing. Paul didn't quit sharing in this situation. If we quit sharing when someone didn't respond, there would be no sharing going on. Remember, the, the, the path is wide that leads to destruction. It's narrow that, that finds the Father. And finishing that sentence there, it does not mean that your conversation will not make a difference sometime in the future. And I have in parentheses the name Mike Riddle. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's a speaker with Answers in Genesis, and his testimony as a real-life rocket scientist working for the military... His testimony was that one day on a base, he went to the gym to work out. It was him and one other guy in the entire gym. While he was working out, this guy got up in his face. You know, he didn't stay on his half the room. He came over and said, hey, let me tell you the gospel. And he shared the gospel from start to finish. Word for word, the whole thing. While Mike Riddle tried to ignore him, tried to send the signals that this isn't a welcome conversation tried to basically, um, you know, work out and leave, which he eventually did, didn't respond, didn't even converse with him, but his testimony is that 10 or 12 years later, after something happened, I don't remember what the instance was that happened, he's sitting in his hotel room, and he realized he needed God in his life, and he was able to recall Every word the man spoke to him in the weight room 10 or 12 years earlier gave his life to Christ all by himself in a hotel room that night. His life radically changed, became a Christian, got into ministry, and it was because a decade earlier someone had shared the gospel with him to his back, basically. You never know what God's going to do. There's another story. You've probably, you may have heard of Kirk Cameron. He used to be on TV and stuff. He's in a few movies. You may have heard of Ray Comfort. Well, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron were out filming for a video they were doing. And in the background, there was a guy over here who was doing some street witnessing. And they went and talked to him. They did a little filming, interviewed him. And, and he was sharing the gospel. They thought they recognized him. They went back 
started looking through old footage of when they had been in the same area, again, about a decade before, and they found footage of them witnessing to him. And he was one of these big, muscle-bound, biker gang kind of guys. And they remember literally being scared of him. They shared the little gospel with them and then kind of retreated because he was the kind of person who literally could break them. And that was not what they were looking for. And so they left. And so they found this footage. They took that back to him and said, is this you? And he smiled and said, yeah, that was me. I remember that. He says, after you guys left, I couldn't stop thinking about what you had said. And a short time after that, I got saved. I got plugged into a church. And, and now this was one of his ministries. I think he even became a pastor. So you never know what your conversation is going to do. You never know when God's going to use it. So even if we face rejection, it doesn't mean we failed. And it doesn't mean we quit sharing. And it doesn't even mean that God's not going to use that very conversation to reach them for the gospel. So when we have our gospel prayer time, we often pray that someone will come into their life who can share again or share from a different perspective or share from a different relationship. And it's usually the accumulation of the sharing and the accumulation of the witness from lives lived in front of them. It's usually the accumulation that gets them to the point where they say, you know what, I think I want that. Or I'm in a spot now and I need what they have. I need God. So we never give up. So again, application, don't just blindly follow somebody's teaching, even mine. Verify with Scripture. And when you share and it's rejected, don't, don't take that as a loss. It's a win because you've obeyed. It's a win because the gospel was presented. And it may even be a bigger win in the future if that person gets saved. So that's the tale of, of two women. Uh, one who responded correctly, one who did not respond at all. And a couple lessons we can learn from it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for illustrating here uh, uh, several things. Letting us see how Satan works. He's not afraid of the truth. He's just afraid of you being discovered as the truth. He'll share as much truth as necessary to get our attention and then steer us away from you. We need to watch out for that. He is a, a liar in many ways. And his methods are diverse. So help us to recognize the untruths. And of course, we'll recognize the lies if we are familiar with the truth. And that's where the Bible comes in. So Father, help us to do that continually and, and all the time and everywhere. And Father, help us not to grow weary of sharing the gospel, inviting someone to church, living the correct way in front of those who don't seem to care. Help us not grow weary of being your ambassador, being a light that shines on a hill, the salt to the earth. Help us not grow weary because we don't know what you're doing. We don't know how you're working. We just know what our part is in the moment. Help us to share. Help us to invite. Help us to live so that we can be a part of your process. Give us courage and strength and perseverance in those areas. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.